Welcome back to MinAdopts Let's Talk, a podcast that brings you valuable resources for prospective and current adoptive and foster families, as well as professionals. Today, we bring you the final episode of Conversations with the HELP Program, Strengthening Families Who Adopted an Infant Through an Open Adoption. And we're back with Program Manager Heather Van Brunt and HELP Specialist Andrea Brubaker. Take a listen. Hi, Heather. Well, hello, Andrea. So glad that we could uh, flip around here and I can interview you about our HELP program. Um, As you've said before, uh, this is a new podcast series developed by the HELP program in which we will be deconstructing case examples from real life themes and scenarios. Uh, These case examples represent themes that we see with families and are not direct cases as we uphold client confidentiality confidentiality in all that we do. Uh, The situation for this episode presents the themes that we see in some open adoptions where the adoption occurred when the child was an infant. Um, These themes are not representative of all families or a specific family, but have been identified as common presenting concerns and reasons why families call. The purpose of these conversations is to demonstrate what families may bring to us and how we can help. So Heather, Tell us a little bit about this family. Well, all right then. Uh, thanks, Andrea. The, the parents in this situation called the helpline wondering about a therapist referral and other resources to support their eight-year-old son and family. So kind of a general, some general, some general questions that they had in those areas. They shared that they have an open adoption and adopted their son as a baby and were pre- they were even present at his birth and they have an ongoing relationship with their son's first mother. Uh, Their son is eight, as I said, and in third grade and loves sports. They describe him as being a generally happy and outgoing kid. Though this year he's even more so struggling um, academically in math and reading and are uh, told by the school, um, by his teacher that he's falling behind. Uh, He received an ADHD diagnosis last year, and they had started medication uh, for that. Uh, He has a hard time um, making and keeping friends, they said. He recently started getting into some more trouble with altercations with peers, and the the teacher had indicated that that she thought that he could benefit from some outside support, as she put it. Um, Parents shared that he's even having more outbursts at home, and they were just really surprised and feeling devastated recently when he blurted out, no, no one loves me. I'm not even your real child. She mm. doesn't even really love me either. She wouldn't have given me away. Mm. Um, you know, referring to his, his first mom, his birth mom. And they did not see that coming because he has usually seemed like he doesn't even think much about his adoption. And mm. they've been so open on his story and maintaining positive connections, relationships with um, birth, some birth family members and feel his story has been a happy one where everyone from uh, that's involved from the birth first family to his large adoptive family just adore him. So mm. that's the context for when they, when they called. Yeah, and that's kind of statement, uh, that's strong of a statement. No one loves me. I'm not even your child, your real child. Um, you know, that can be so hard for any parent to hear that statement. The last thing that we want as parents is to hear our child is struggling with those kinds of feelings and 
Um, that's just, that's really tough. I'm so glad that they called. Uh, what else do you know about the family's background? Yeah, um, well, they're a white two-parent couple in their late 40s. Uh, they shared a little bit about, you know, pursuing infertility treatments for years and really took a long pause from that roller coaster and did um, some therapy as a couple and came to peace with uh, pursuing adoption. So they had done some therapeutic work in the past. Um, it took a lot of time and thought to really prepare and and then their process took some time, you know, it took several years before they were able to enter into an open adoption plan with the woman who chose them to be um, her child's adoptive uh, parents. And uh, in this particular situation, it's not a transracial adoption. Um, their, their son is an only child as well. There's not other, there are not other kids in the home. Um, a little more background is that these adoptive parents have a, they do have an, they describe an ongoing positive relationship with their child's first mother. They, they were present in the delivery room. They, there have been years where they see their, see her and some of her extended family a couple times per year. Um, though the last couple of years, there's been more of a shift. Some of those visits haven't happened in person due to her moving a little further away, having some life changes. Now during the pandemic, it's been a little more complicated over the last year or so, even further. So um, that's been a shift for them um, that they were noting on, yeah, on their own. Um, they, they have uh, some medical social uh, information background about the birth father and they met him once early on and also kind of bringing up on their own. They're unsure of how to pursue more of a connection there and um, thinking about maybe ways of how to do that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, those are a lot of layers there. And with having the benefit of relationship with first family, though it of course changes over time for various reasons and that can bring up challenges at times as well. Um, a lot of complexity there. When this situation came to you, um, you know, there's a lot to hold and what thoughts kind of came to mind? What were you keeping in the back of your mind? Did you have um, any certain areas you wanted to, you know, be sure to explore with the family and, and why? Yeah, yeah, I, I did. I, I wanted to see what their experiences with therapy had been in the past and what was helpful or not, um, you know, thinking about what they might, you know, might, might be helpful in connecting them to, you know, moving forward. Um, mm. After talking with them more, I learned that they haven't pursued any therapeutic support since becoming parents as they had never felt like they really needed that for themselves or their son um, after the adoption happened. Um, so they had done that work, uh, therapeutic work before adoption, but felt like that kind of work was behind them and not something a child this young would need or um, who had so much love and support around him um, his whole life. So I want to explore a little more in that area with them about whether past therapy was a positive experience and lay a foundation of how when we move through some of these stages and chapters with our kids that core issues and adoption for kids and parents can inevitably get stirred up and need some support and really normalize that for them. Um, mm -hmm. So that was in the back of my mind um, and wanted to explore in, even in the most open adoptions with positive relationships uh, there, uh, even when parents are able to present, be present at birth and take their child home from the hospital um, even when a child has so much love and support, there's still loss and grief around um, the adoption experience at times. And 
So ultimately, you know, adoption has um, an aspect of trauma there. And for adoptees whose uh, first experience in this world was to be separated from their birth first mother, that can set the stage for some pain um, throughout their lives. And it's important for adoptive parents to recognize this even after many years have passed um, because it does um, persist and change throughout one's life. So I may gently bring that out in a situation like this, um, that it sounds like they've poured so much into getting ready to be parents and may hurt and feel confusing when he struggles or flat out says that no one loves me um, when they've worked so hard to have him not feel that way. Mm -hmm. So I normalize that, provide some education on what are some common questions and issues that um, often get processed at different developmental stages for kids. Mm -hmm. given, given that he's eight, you know, he really is right in that six to 12 age range where kids really cognitively are able to and do start to understand how their story is unique from their non-adopted peers. And, um, you know, even when that loving plan was made for them, there still was a decision by first family to not parent. And there's not a current relationship with all birth family. Um, and that just can bring up more questions and experiences of loss. So wanted to explore adoption competent therapy um, with them because having a trusting relationship um, there with a therapist for their son could be so beneficial. And having one for their family as a whole um, to support them in their parenting would be such a great resource. It was in the back of my mind too, that if there had also been some things as of late that had happened at school with lots of questions from other kids or comments about being adopted, if there had been school assignments or projects that may have touched on family and history that could have been a catalyst to bring out some of these feelings in a, like a bigger way um, at the moment for him. Yeah, that's a really good point um, that sometimes you know, we have to think about the whole context of, of all these different environments for the child and what might have, um, you know, activated something or, uh, you know, what other experiences the child is having, you know, even outside of the home, in the home, um, with peers, um, you know, all of those things interplay. Um, Right. Usually not just one thing that may be bringing these things to the surface. Yes, usually. Uh, not just usually, that really is the case. Yeah. More, time, more things at play, so. Yeah, so many. And it can make the process of, you know, kind of identifying what's going on um, complex, as we've talked about. Mm -hmm. So did this family have any outside resources or supports when they called? You know, not much currently in place at the, at the time. There, there was a, a meeting happening soon that they said with the teacher um, about academic and peer struggles and um, it being referenced to possibly get a 504 or an IEP plan off the ground at school for more specialized services to be um, explored for academics and behavioral support. Uh, this may mean more uh, folks getting newly tapped um, in this third grade year for him. Um, so they're on the front end of that kind of planning and unsure what is even possible or what would be helpful. Um, there were no therapeutic services in place and that's actually why they were calling to see what else might be helpful for therapy and or assessments for him. Not so uncommon of an experience for parents to be on the front end of that kind of 
new service exploration when they call us, um, you know, whether there is a lot in place or not much, it can be a lot to navigate and figure out what might make sense to bring in um, at the school level and outside of school. Um, it can be it can be a lot. Um, so what other questions did you have for them and what factors did you have in the back of your mind as you were um, you know, further assessing this situation and what this family might need going forward? You know, another thing that I always hold in the back of my mind when talking to folks is alcohol chemical exposure that might have happened in utero. This can be a factor even for those who adopted in open adoptions and who sometimes have more social medical history that's been reported or who have access to updating that information over time because of the relationship with the first family. Um, I ask a few questions in that area, um, given that he, they're reporting about his academic and his social struggles and having an ADHD diagnosis. Um, sometimes that chemical or al alcohol exposure in utero doesn't get enough attention and is sometimes missed when looking at supports. Um, they were reporting this was an unplanned pregnancy and it turns out that they did know that their son's first mother disclosed that she drank at least some alcohol in those first few months before she knew she was pregnant. Um, so their, their son's brain uh, being affected by that exposure is something that might not have been assessed or focused on it as being at least part of the learning and behavioral picture that needs some specialized support uh, now and moving forward. Yeah, the chemical exposure, alcohol exposure, especially you know early on, I think it's really common for a lot of um, families that we talk to to report that you know, once once the uh, first mother, birth mother learned of the pregnancy, um, they they stopped. And then, you know, sometimes it can be still a factor um, right. for the child to consider. So that's yeah. a really good line of, um, you know, exploration and something to highlight with the family so that they're aware that, you know, we can't totally rule that out, um, right. like you were saying. Um, so, you know, aside from um, all that we have, you know, talked about, um, all of these layers simultaneously converging <laughs> um, for this family and all the families that we talk to, um, you know, wanting to support this family, hearing their concerns and helping to direct them towards next steps. Um, you know, our role can be so crucial in helping a family feel like someone really gets their situation. Um, and so it sounds like you, you know, really did a, a fantastic job with that. Um, so what resources did you, did you offer to them after, um, or as you're, as you're talking to them and as you're thinking about what's going to help? Yeah. In, in this situation, you know, I, helping identify a number of different adoption competent therapists in their area who took their insurance, who specialized in working with young children, preteens, um, but also did couples and family work. Um, I made sure that there were therapists who also indicated some practice specialty with FASD um, in case that is something um, that as it gets assessed for and that they need some more support on that it was somebody that already had that, um, that good background. Um, I highlighted some educational options on core issues in adoption and what that can look like for kids and adults 
um, and all members of the adoption constellation um, uh, to process at different ages and stages. There's some really good materials out there to um, help normalize um, about what that looks like um, across the lifespan. I also included some educational resources to share with the school on how to make uh, common school assignments and projects more adoption friendly. That seemed applicable um, uh, moving forward. Uh, I made sure to include peer support options for their son. There are some great groups for kids his age to connect with other adopted children for learning and activities and connection, um, but also included some options for them as parents, um, peer support options through some of our other community agencies that we have relationships with that provide that, um, like NACAC and others. Um, I gave an overview on PACER as an organization um, with the school support piece um, because they have such a robust website, articles, tools, um, as this family um, explores the 504 and IEP process with their school. Um, there's just such a great resource to have. And, um, but they also have great advocates there to have conversations with along the way to help support them navigating um, you know, the, the different services that their child might qualify for um, at school. Um, and then given the, you know, the, the little discussion that we had on the potential um, effects of, of alcohol or chemicals in utero, I, I did give some um, options, places to um, consider to do a neuropsychological assessment. Um, there is on the Proof Alliance website, they do a lot of, um, their focus is, um, FASD support and um, all kinds of resources and support, but they've got, you know, some links on there for places that provide that neuropsychological assessment that includes the FASD um, a portion of that assessment and places that do that really well. So I made sure to include information on that. Yeah, that's wonderful. A lot of um, really important resources to kind of help the help organize, help um, highlight and um, you know, a lot of families aren't aware of all that is available um, for their specific situations, and that's something that we can really pull together for them, um, you know, in, in highlighting what these different organizations and places do, how they do it, and how the family can, um, you know, bring their situation to them to get the services and supports that they're looking for. Um, so what's next for this family, Heather? I'm, I'm, I have my own thoughts on what I hope for them, but. What I just, you know, I really hope that they uh, take advantage of um, the adoption competent therapeutic referrals that we make for them and get started with a, a relationship there um, for both um, their child and, um, and themselves. That's one of the biggest, biggest things of, um, it seems like it would be really helpful. So I'm hopeful for that with, with them and um, for them to also um, just tap uh, the resources that I, you know, gave a little overview on here with the, with the school stuff too, because that can be a little overwhelming for folks um, when, when that school stuff is getting newly off the ground um, and supported. So between having an adoption competent therapist on board um, to be supportive through that, also um, tapping um, the things through PACER that I, I really think will make a difference. 
Yeah, it sounds like um, with your help and, um, you know, getting information on all these other resources, they'll, you know, be able to kind of um, build a really strong team around the needs of this, um, this child and their family and, um, you know, all of that support is, is so important in helping them to problem solve and move forward and, um, you know, heal as a family and all the things that we hope. And hopefully the, you know, both this child and this parent can feel really, um, like they're getting their needs, their needs met from their service providers. And I think we're a big part of helping, you know, bring all of that together, um, in a sense, you know, providing some of that, um, you know, um, bringing all these, all these ideas and resources together for a family in that resource packet. Um, how do you uh, follow, how will you follow up with this particular family? You know, are there any particular things that you think might be needed for this situation that, you know, might be different than in others? You know, you just, uh, I will send a comprehensive resource guide their way through email with everything I've outlined so far. Um, it, you know, how the, the follow-up looks, you know, at that this point is, you know, within a day or two sending that a comprehensive resource guide of check in with them, um, you know, to make sure that they receive the information and, you know, another several days or, you know, the next week and see what questions might, you know, have come up um, as they look at taking some steps with, therapy and some of the other resources highlighted. So uh, we remain available, you know, to um, our support is short term in nature, but, you know, we remain to get them to a new spot um, of, of support, but uh, we remain available for them to, to tap as they move through some of these steps and um, may have needs that change um, in the future. They can certainly call mm -hmm. us, call me, call us again. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, that's wonderful. Thanks for sharing this family situation with us, Heather. I hope this gives listeners a sense of some of the experiences that families might be going through uh, when they reach out to our program for help and how we can support. Uh, we hope you enjoyed this episode of Conversations with the Help Team. And this actually concludes our series on uh, Conversations with the Help Team. And we hope you enjoyed listening. Thanks. Thanks for tuning in to Conversations with the Help Program. We hope you enjoyed this series. Please share with who you think will benefit from it. Please contact our help team at any time. You can contact them at 612-746-5137, toll free at 1-855-670-4357. You can also find more information on our website at minadopt.org, M adopt.org or email the help team at help-program at minadopt.org. Thank you again for listening.